Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and authorized financial advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a certified CFEX financial planning and advisory firm servicing clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. On today's episode, recorded on the 21st of August 2020, Lizzie Hill from our investment committee has joined me to discuss some topical stuff that is going on in New Zealand at the moment, e.g. elections, COVID's resurgence in Auckland, and forecast negative interest rates, and how all of this affects investors. The views in this podcast are general in nature and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Wow, Nick, that is a lot of content. Elections, COVID's back, and potential negative interests. So, on the election one first off, does the election results actually affect investors? And should they be worried about it, or avidly following it? Or is it really just a noise in the background? And from an investment point of view, obviously people would still be interested in what's happening. But how does it affect them? If we look back at the research and historically across both New Zealand and the United States and Australia, data would show that who is prime minister or president really has no material impact on what happens in the markets. Particularly when one thinks that if you're a Kiwi investor and you're invested in a globally diversified portfolio, so in other words, your actual exposure to New Zealand equities and the New Zealand dollar is not that large, therefore you would then think, well, because I'm invested offshore, I'm actually exposed more to, say, the US election or the UK election than I would be to what's happening um, in the domestic environment. So if it doesn't matter who is the prime minister or the president, does it matter what party is in power? We all like to think that certain parties favour certain things. So, you know, Labour is pro, um, pro the employee, pro the union, lots of red tape for business. I'm talking totally stereotypically here. Yeah. And then on the right is uh, less red tape, less tax, more freedom of choice, all those the usual cliches that you hear. But in reality, for most of the uh, democratic countries and the developed world, therefore, in terms of uh, capital markets, most of the time the parties are actually quite centric in their approach. And if we look in the United States, which has the longest run data set, whether it's a blue team or a red team in the White House, if I, if you actually look at the markets and we actually publish some of this material on our website and a blog, it shows that basically the market pretty much just keeps meandering along as it normally would. Yeah, there's a few bumps, but they're not correlated with the um, um, presidential elections. So, so in other words, you should just sit back and let the portfolio do what it's supposed to do engage in capital markets, but don't engage in politics. Engage in politics at the ballot box, but not with your wallet. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of volatility in the markets at the moment is mainly COVID-driven if elections don't affect the markets. So is now a good time to invest, given it's volatile, and there may be some cheap things out there to buy? You know, for a transaction to occur, there must be a willing buyer and a willing seller. Uh, For something to be cheap, that if, say, you were the buyer and you believe it's cheap, 
And I believe that the price is right because I am the willing seller. So we both have an opinion. But the worst case is I'm forced into a liquidity event, so I have to sell to you. The other is that uh, I believe that the price is going to decline. I'm going to sell to you. But you believe the price is going to increase. So one of us is right. One of us is wrong. Okay. So if someone is looking to invest at the moment, what would your advice be? Focus long. Don't focus short term. Because look, anyone who's going to, going to get into equities or shares shouldn't be looking short term. Look, it, you should be focusing long term. And when we focus long term, we're talking people who invest in shares should be looking at a five to seven to 10 year window not what's happening between now and our election here in New Zealand or in the United States. It's just too short. So much can happen. And then you can get these kind of like um, the kind of like the black swan event. So when we think back to January, did any of us think ever in our lifetime that our country would be shut down due to a virus? No. Exactly. So it's that kind of black swan event, just massive. And it just it just nobbles the markets. And um, and that's exactly what we had with the people capitulating all the way to the 23rd of March, and then the markets went away again. But if you only had a a 60-day window that you were wanting to invest into equities, heaven help you if you chose those 60 days. Yeah, and hope that luck would be on their side. But basing your future on luck, that's not a great way to invest. Yeah, I think a uh, a safer bet, if you were after a bet, would have been to buy a lotto ticket at whatever those <laughs> 28 million to one odds are on actually winning. And hope you bought it from Hawke's Bay Lucky Lotto Shop. <laughs> Indeed. But we do find that there are people that wish to engage their capital that may be nervous bridging a period. So in New Zealand, for example, you know, the, um, the crash of October 1987, a lot of people don't like to invest in the month of October. For many other countries around the world, it was a bit of a non-event. But that one was really bad here. So so therefore, what we say to people is, well, just as you might dollar cost your exit out of the market, then dollar cost in your entry. Um, so treat it the same way. So a little bit like how you might ladder your um, your debt securities. So in other words, your debt, like on your home loan, you might break it up to three tranches and have some at one year, two year and three year. So you're laddering the curve. You could dollar cost in your entry point into markets by, say, um, you know, this Friday you buy some. And on uh, the Friday and four weeks time, you buy a little more. And the Friday and eight weeks time, you buy a little more. So you bridge the entire the entire period that you're concerned about. Yeah, and hopefully you would obviously just get the average over that period of time by investing a portion at set intervals. Yeah, yeah by having a disciplined approach. So touching on COVID and the impact that that may have. Well, I said on a radio show a week ago when asked, and I remember I was I was as the Prime Minister was giving her address, I think it was 9.20pm, announcing that there was a community transmission uh, in Auckland, the New Zealand dollar dropped by about half a cent. So yeah, there was a there was an impact. And if you were an importer of goods, from that moment, you had to pay more New Zealand dollars to buy your foreign goods. But it's interesting. Over the period of the week, it was actually a non-event. So the it was the same price as it was five days earlier. So is that because the market and its participants are factoring in that COVID is going to be coming back? It was obviously a little bit of a shock initially, and then now we're sort of calmed down and we think it might be here for a longer period of time? Yeah, I would concur with that because the market's an incredible process of information. It's very, very quick. And people, you know, as we talked about before, on, on you know, for a willing buyer, willing seller. So exactly the same as if I want to buy some US currency off you and you want to buy some Kiwi off me, well, we're just going to agree to a price with both of our opinions. And in the middle, we have to cross the trade, you know, 
just it is what it is. And there are there are millions of people doing that. And New Zealand's one of the most highly traded liquid currencies in the world, despite our tiny size. So we have a lot of volume. But when then when I think about it from and New Zealand investors' viewpoint, so let's say you're in Auckland right now and you're into your second week of the second lockdown. If you were looking at your portfolio and you held a diversified global portfolio, including New Zealand and Australian shares, you'd be sitting there today saying, well, it's a real bummer that I can't go out and get a coffee and I'm locked in my home. But thank goodness my portfolio is actually up. So you may live in a COVID environment and the impact it may be raging outside your door. If your pension and your investment is invested in another market, then you're very, very safe no matter what happens here in terms of your wallet and your savings. Again, diversification is your friend. So globally, it looks like that at the moment. We're stuck with COVID for an extended period of time and New Zealand is doing better than other countries, despite what Trump may say. So do you think, therefore, that investors shouldn't be apprehensive about investing in this period of time? And we shouldn't wait until somebody says, yep, COVID's gone and then we invest. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And people should just be focusing on their long-term planning. They may miss out on opportunities, such as those that park their cash to the sideline during March and April would now be ruining the day that they did that. Conversely, this is not like 2008, 2009. Interest rates, they are 0.25 of a percent. But the opportunity cost is or is potentially vast because effectively, if you park your cash to the sidelines, in other words, you actually just put it in an on-call bank account and earn basically nothing after tax and inflation, or you probably actually maybe a little on the negative side, it's akin to actually burying money in the backyard because there is no return off it. And that sort of takes us to our third topic, which is potential negative interest rates in March 2021. Obviously, it's a bit of an unusual attempt to boost economic growth and basically encourage people who would sit on their money in the bank to go out and invest or spend it. How do you think negative interest rates would um, affect people's behaviour towards money and what they would do with their future goals and maybe adjust them? I think the effect will be profound. Most people will engage their capital and they will engage their capital in the form of moving up the risk spectrum, either buying a, a property, whether that be industrial, commercial, retail or residential property, or they will invest in listed bonds. So in other words, they'll actually lend to a company on a five to seven or 10 year period at a fixed coupon rate. So let's say you were going to buy a bond of a company where they, that they're in the market and saying, we want to raise some five year money and we're prepared to give a return of you know 3.25% for that. And there are people who will engage their capital and buy those bonds because it's a lot better than zero. But then there are those that will, will, will engage their capital and buy shares or equities. It'll be such a new concept for people, negative interest rates. So what does that actually mean and how will it affect people's money in the bank? If we look at the announcement from the Reserve Bank last week and that the governor said that he wants to see all retail banks ready to have a zero interest rate or negative by Christmas. Their IT systems were not built to carry a negative number. So they're getting ready for that. Some of the retail banks are saying that they expect that it will go negative with the OCR set by the Reserve Bank. But by the time you add a margin for the retail bank, the number will still be a positive charge. 
But if we look overseas at countries such as Switzerland, which, you know, traditionally has a huge portion of the world's assets custodied out of Switzerland. I remember a figure post um, 9-11, which showed that 40% of the funds custodied in Switzerland belong to expat Americans. Some Swiss banks have been charging people to hold cash with them. So in other words, you know, you put money in, you might have $100,000, you put it on deposit with the bank, you'd expect some kind of peppercorn interest rate. No, 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 you get zero and you get an invoice. Yeah, I was reading that Denmark over a year ago had the world's first negative mortgage rate. So every time you make a repayment, you actually pay off more than you've paid. You don't get the change, but it's just such a change of mindset, a negative mortgage rate. Well, I think it will have a phenomenal change to the way that people think. You know, for example, I use the story about um, uh, about my daughter with her savings accounts because she really is very focused on her savings, which is cool. So, you know, we like to encourage that. Any young people, make it happen. It's awesome. But it's very, very difficult for them to get motivated when they find out that they've earned a tenth of one cent in interest over the last three months. Yeah, it doesn't even pay for one lot of lollies. <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't. So she's been slowly engaging capital uh, into the market. So she's bought some emerging markets. She's bought some um, global value stocks, some global small stocks. And just because of the fact that the return off her savings, off her weekly pocket money, is zero. And if you actually then go to, it, it, like, if you look at your own bank account and look at the amount of money you're earning in your saver, which will sit alongside as a satellite account to your primary account, have a look at the bank charge on the primary account. Dare I say it, you will most likely find that the bank fees on a monthly basis are more than you are earning on interest now. Does that have any effect on term deposit rates as well? The term deposit rates have come down a lot. Um, and it's a lot across the entire spectrum of credit quality as well. So you've had it where historically a bank that had an inferior credit rating to another would have paid a much higher term deposit. At the moment, they've all been squashed and they're pretty much flat. So from one year to five years for term deposits. Now, most people don't operate at the five-year mark, but they certainly operate one to two years on TDs. That's what I see. That's the anecdotal evidence. But from one to five years, the the rate with both a highly rated and a slightly less well-rated company is sort of like we're talking 1.2 to 1.8%. And that is it. And that is pre-tax. And that's not a lot to live on if it's your primary income in your retirement. So if you have plenty of money on term deposits and you've seen those rates drop and drop and it's affecting how much you spend, what would be your suggestion to those people? Seek advice because with the advice from an independent financial advisor, you are going to receive not only sound advice on what to do with the capital, but the most awesome byproduct of it is that your knowledge and education is going to grow. So for an investor who's never done this before, this is like going to school and engaging the capital from term deposits into either listed bonds or equities or property is a learning curve. And that's why you need someone in your corner and someone or someone helping you steer the ship. So Lizzie, if you had won lotto last Saturday night and you'd been given the five million, well, if you put it in the bank, uh, life isn't really going to change that much. 
Well, that's the thing, isn't it? When anyone talks about winning the lottery, they always say, I'll put it in the bank and live off the interest. No, if you're earning uh, 1% because you didn't want to go up the risk curve and you didn't want to engage the capital on longer than, say, a year, you know, your $5 million is going to earn you in the hand about forty dollars to $45,000 and that's it. So better not quit your day job. So what would you say to those lotto winners? Seek advice, engage the capital properly, understand your goals and objectives and what you plan to spend. In other words, the quantum, so that you actually do have a plan. Because if you were, say, 50 years of age and you won $5 million in the lottery, you actually have almost another half your lifetime to come. So therefore, if you decided that you're going to have a long weekend every three days, in other words, you're going to quit forever and just live on the couch (laughs) and have fun and travel, well, you're really going to get to know New Zealand at the moment because you're not going to be able to travel offshore. (laughs) And you are going to have to make sure that capital is really well nurtured and loved and has a strategy because it needs to power you up for about 45 years. And, And at the moment, because of the basically the zero rate of return in term deposits and um, savings accounts, engaging the capital across bonds and equities, both in New Zealand, Australasia, and globally, is very, very important, particularly in a COVID environment. So in summary, face your fears and take a proactive step towards finding your most important goals. And, you know, having that financial plan can make you make smarter financial choices over time. If you know where you want to be, it can make it easier getting there. information provided or any opinions expressed in this podcast are of a general nature and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorized financial advisor before making any decisions. A disclosure statement can be attained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961 or visiting our website www.stuartgroup.co.nz